The following message by Pastor Spencer is brought to you by Together in Christ. If you'll open with, you, with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. And we're going to read tonight verses 25 through 30. Matthew 11, 25 to 30. <clears throat> it's a very famous passage of Scripture, one of the best known, um, found in all the Bible. And it says this, beginning at verse 25, At that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, as we open the pages of your word, Please be present with us. Speak to us. May the person of the Holy Spirit take the written word and put it in our hearts. For Christ's sake, amen. This uh, morning, our, our brother, our pastor, brought to us a passage from John 13 teaching us about Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. And perhaps no... Um, illustration he gave them so uh, illustrates to us the depth of his love and of his humility uh, towards us than that, that wonderful incident where he, he put aside the garments and put on the garments of a slave, of a servant, and stooped down to wash the feet of his disciples. No act could uh, convey to them other than the cross itself the, the depth of love he has for us and for his people. And tonight, I want to uh, focus uh, within that theme, up, again, upon the humility, the gentleness, and the love and the compassion of our Savior, which is found here in these wonderful verses of Matthew chapter 11, particularly tonight looking from verses 28 through 30. If you were to dive into the Gospel of Matthew, if you were to read chapter 11 right before this, you'll know in chapter 10, Jesus has just sent out the 12 apostles out on a mission, a missionary journey, and, and he's motivated, we see right before that, at the very tail end of chapter 9, by his compassion for the crowds, for the people. When Jesus looks out at Israel, what he sees is sheep without a shepherd. 
He has compassion on them, we're told. He's moved with compassion and pity for them. And so he, he sends out his apostles in order to further the work of the gospel, to bring the message about him to, to all the nooks and the crannies in Israel as much as they're able to. Well, we see in chapter 11, after the story about John the Baptist sending people to Jesus about wondering if he is who he is, right after that in verse 20, you see Jesus begins to denounce the cities where he's just done most of his mighty works. And this is interesting because because Jesus here has done all of these miracles, all of these mighty things, and what he says here is they still won't believe. Jesus has compassion upon compassion for these people, and they refuse to believe, and so he hands them over to judgment, his judgment. He hands them over and says that it's going to be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon and for Sodom than it will be for Capernaum and Chorazin and Bethsaida in the last day. And it's interesting to me, as I, as I read this, right away, then Jesus turns in verse 25 And he's not frustrated by the unbelief of the people around him. He's been there ministering to them. And if you've ever, you know, tried to to minister to people and they they refuse to hear it or to listen, it can get pretty frustrating, can't it? I mean, they they refuse to listen. And Jesus does pronounce judgment upon them. But at the same time, what's astonishing to me, and this is one of the things to me that, that emphasizes that Jesus is the perfect evangelist, is he's not flustered. What does he say right away in 25 through 27? He says, basically, Father, I acknowledge to you that this is your work. You've hidden the knowledge of the gospel from some people and revealed it to others. Jesus doesn't despair just because some people refuse to believe the gospel, does he? There's a mixture of judgment along with not being flustered and and recognizing that this is all the Father's will. And then right after that, in verse 28, he's back to giving an evangelistic appeal in verse 28, saying, come to me. Jesus mixes judgment with not being flustered, but at the same time, perfect compassion, all in the same person. It's amazing. I find that balance very hard. But Jesus, apparently, as the perfect man, was able to do that, and the mixture was perfect, perfect in him. Never flustered, and yet always loving, full of compassion in his heart. He emphasizes to us the unique relationship that he has with God the Father. He says basically that uh, no one else knows the Father except me, and there's no way that you can know me except the Father decides to show you me. Now, right, we've, we've talked about this in the basic Christianity class, the essential Christianity class, that if, if any other person said things like this, we would think they were crazy, right? If I stood up here and said, you guys don't know God, and the only way you're going to be able to know God is if you know me, right? You would think I was crazy. But Jesus said that kind of stuff because it was true for him. Because the only way you can know the Father is through him. And the only way you can know him is if the Father does decide to reveal Jesus to you. Well, it's, it's right after that, right after Jesus has done this, that Jesus gives one of the most wonderful and warm evangelistic appeals in all the Gospels. He says in verse 28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
The first thing I want to point out to you tonight, and as we walk through this passage, is the fact that, isn't it interesting that Jesus knows that we are weary sinners? Jesus knows it, doesn't he? He sees us as we are. When Jesus looks at the people of Israel, you know what he sees? Whether or not they realize it or not, Jesus sees sheep without a shepherd. And also, whenever he sees sinners just like us, he sees worn out, sinful people. People worn out, worn ragged, laboring, sweating, panting because they're sinners. We're laboring, we're toiling, we're working hard. Jesus sees a whole world carrying around burdens and heavy laden. He looks at the world and he sees all of us overburdened. You remember David in Psalm 38 verse 4 would speak about being burdened with sin. And Jesus met people. If, you, if anybody knew people, it was Jesus, right? His ministry was not held in an ivory tower, was it? He didn't teach at a seminary. He didn't um, teach at a university where he was uh, separated from all of the normal people. Jesus was with all of us. He was a grassroots guy. And, and talking to people, uh, sharing life with them, he looked at the crowds and he sees they're harassed and they're helpless. They need a shepherd. They need a savior. They need him. And he looks on them with compassion. It was interesting. I was talking to a brother earlier today, and he pointed out to me that at a, a previous job that he had had, it wasn't till he, whenever he had the job, he didn't realize how tired he was till he got done with the job, and he switched jobs, right? Isn't it true that sometimes we're worn out and we don't realize it? And so regardless of whether or not we realize it or not, and whether or not the world outside here realizes it or not, they're worn out, running ragged, trying to live without God. It does not pay. How, do we, uh, how are we weary sinners? Well, first of all, we try to live without God. Every time you and I sin, we're trying to live without him. We're trying to, to live without God because it's hard work living without God. Think about before the fall of man. Was life really that hard? No, you woke up, oh, look, the, the fruit trees are producing again. Everything's perfect again. Another day in paradise. But then the serpent came along and said, actually, you know what? God doesn't really like you. And he, if he really loved you, he wouldn't put you in this dopey garden. So why don't you rebel and get free? And well, life got a lot harder afterwards, didn't it? Life got a lot harder. It's hard work trying to live without God. That's what sin does to us. It brings with it its own punishment. Remember, uh, the, the first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. We often think about all the other sins that we commit whenever we confess to God our sins, you know, forgive me uh, for this or for that, for being angry with my children or forgive me for wanting that car that I know I shouldn't have. But you know what the number one commandment that you and I break most of the time is you shall have no other gods before me. How often do we try to live without God? You're breaking that commandment. If you're not relying upon him 100%, you are trying to live without God. And it's wearying work. Israel found that out. It's hard to live without God. And after we try to live without God, what do we do? Secondly, we try to run away from God. Isn't that exactly what they did in the Garden of Eden? They tried to live without God, and then what did they do? Well, 
We don't want God to find out, so we'll run away from him. We'll hide, because that'll make it better. We're trying to escape. But ultimately, even though we're scared of God and we try to hide from God, we cannot escape from him. That's hard work, isn't it? Getting away from God, the God who's always everywhere, kind of hard. Remember in Isaiah, oftentimes God would tell his people, this is rest, give rest to the weary, and this is repose, yet they would not hear. God consistently told them the way that they should walk, but they kept running away from God. Again, Isaiah 30, verse 16, for thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved, in quietness and in trust shall be your strength. But you were unwilling So what did they do? They said, no, we will flee upon horses. We will ride upon swift steeds. It's amazing the lengths to which humanity will go to try to live without God and run away from him. And then lastly, not only do we live without God and run away from God, but then we try to cope without God. We try to deal with our weariness in various ways. We try to find a replacement for God or a substitute, anything that we can do to help us cope. Isn't that just basically summarize man's weariness, sin and false systems that we try to use to cope with our sin? I mean, you turn on your television, there's a lot of systems that people are selling to try to help you to cope with your sin. They don't call it sin. They're trying to help you to cope with this life and those things will never work. Health, wealth, prosperity, um, any, any number of things. Anything of creation which we try to substitute for the creator, of course, is an idol. It is an attempt to replace God. It's our attempt to cope and deal with the sin and the misery in the world. In the Old Testament, God's people often tried to find a substitute for God, didn't they? It's interesting in Isaiah, right? They'll turn to other countries. So God comes, remember Isaiah comes and says, listen, king, you need to trust the Lord. And what do they do? Go find somebody else to go trust in. Go find another nation to trust in. Anybody but the Lord. That's too easy. And so Jesus looks at us and he sees we're weary sinners. Are you tired? Are you worn out with sin? Are you tired of waking up and realizing that you're not the person you should be? That you've never been the person you should be? And that on your own, you'll never be the person you should be? That you really, in your heart of hearts, part of you doesn't even want to be the person you should be. And the reality is, is we can't unburden ourselves no matter how hard we may try. Jesus looks at us and he sees us as weary sinners. And and the last system you see here that Jesus is confronting here in Jesus's day is false religion. The Pharisees had made up a great system, right? They had made an amazing system of religious rules and rites. They had found a way to get God basically to where he was a robot. So it's like, you know, there's a candy machine, right? You put the coin in, you turn the thing, you get the gumball. And that's basically how they thought God worked. I do this, turn the thing, and I get a good response back. It's a system, but God is not a system. And so Jesus 
himself said that the religious leaders tied up heavy burdens hard to bear and laid them on people's shoulders. We're weary sinners, and apart from Jesus, we have no hope. But this is the wonderful thing, that even though Jesus looks at you and me and sees us guilty, broken, hopeless, deserving of hell, eternal separation and judgment, he secondly offers us rest. He says, come to me, all who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I, he says, will give you rest. I'll give you rest. His rest, he says, it's like water to someone who's thirsty. It's like food to someone who's hungry. Jesus has come to refresh us. Jesus is saying, I will give you rest. Come over here in the shade. Refresh yourself. Come to me. You're not going to be able to unburden yourselves of your sin and of your sorrow and of the miseries of this life. Come to me, he says. Has anybody ever been refreshed whenever you've sinned? You just sin, you're like, boy, I just feel so full of life now, right? Has anybody here ever sinned and then said, you know what, I'm just so thankful I did that. Really glad, you know, I feel so good. Sin doesn't do that, does it? Sin kills. It does not make us alive. It kills us. There's not one of you here who's going to regret not sinning in the long term. Sin is not energizing. Breaking God's commandments does not give us life, but Christ freely offers us rest and refreshment. He offers us safety from our fears. He's the, the, the shepherd of Psalm 23. He will make us to lie down in green pastures and beside the still waters. He will restore our soul. His rest, of course, is his salvation in which he came to save us from our sins. He offers us his rest. But how do we get this rest? Jesus says that the burden of your sin is, is really great and you need to be free of it. You need to be pardoned of it. You need to be forgiven of it. You need to let me take that load off your shoulders. But how do I get that load off my shoulders? How can I stop being so weary? How can I find the rest that Jesus points me to? What's the text say? Come to me. Come to me. Come not there, not here, to me. Notice the text. It limits who we are to go to. There's only one person that Jesus says, I want you to come to. I want you to come to me, he says, Christ himself. Notice, Jesus does not say, come to church. I believe we're supposed to come to church, but that's not the way to get rid of your burden in the long run. He does not say, come and pray this prayer. He does not say, come up, and make a decision or come to a system or a plan. He says, come to me. I, there was an old uh, phrase, and I think it was actually like a Church of Christ guy I read about one time. He said, salvation's not in a plan, it's in a man. That's pretty good. It's not in a system that you can manipulate. It's in Christ. 
So we come to Jesus. Jesus says, come to me, come to me for rest nowhere else. And we come to him, of course, when we rest upon him, when we believe upon him, when we trust upon him, when we depend upon him for our salvation. So Jesus tells you and me, come to me, all you who are heavy, toiling and heavy laden. Are you tired yet? He's saying, come to me and I will give you rest. I'll give it. We place our confidence in him alone. Notice, by the way, as a side note, how Jesus is pleading with us. Jesus is using words and and urging upon us. You know, Jesus is more interested that you be saved than you are. Jesus wants you to go to heaven more than you want to go to heaven. Jesus doesn't want you to go to hell more than you don't want to go to hell. That's why he came for us before we asked him to come. That's why the father sent him whenever we didn't even ask the father to give him. That's why he rose from the grave before you and I were ever born. He's more interested and focused and determined upon our salvation than we are. So he says, come to me if you would but come here. You can sense the heart of Christ, can't you? Pleading with us, urging us, calling us, saying, I love you, come to me. I would give you rest. Why won't you come? Come to me. Not here or there, but to me. Take my yoke upon you, he says, and learn from me. For I, notice I am gentle. Don't miss this. If you were to sit down here and, and mark out how often Jesus talks in the first person, it's amazing. This whole thing is about him, basically. Come to me and I will give you rest. My yoke. It's all centered in saying, focus upon him. You will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Jesus tells us to take his yoke upon us, to, to receive it. So he's calling us away from other lords, from other teachers, from other kings, other yokes and saying, Come to me and learn from me. I'll save you. And as our dear brother said this morning, I'll wash you and I'll make you clean and I'll scrub you clean inside, out, sideways and edgewise. And you will be clean because you're mine. Come to me. To learn from him, take my yoke upon you and to place yourself under my will, under the Father's will, to learn from him, to obey him, to trust him, to be controlled by him under his reign and under his gracious and good and kind rule. Take my yoke and you'll be restful. Living under this king is restful. Living under The kings of this world, the governments of this world is not very restful, is it? I mean, we're we're in 2020, right? And on both sides, we're not going to get a lot of rest. It's going to be a lot of confusion, a lot of fear, and it's going to be tension inside. The governments of this world all around the globe and throughout history have not been able to offer us rest. But Jesus says, you take my yoke, I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest. You will find rest for your souls. 
And his yoke, he says, is easy. It's a good yoke. It's not harsh. It's not going to drain us. It's light and it's not burdensome. Oftentimes the world wants us to think this. It wants us to think that following Jesus is really hard, but following the world is so easy. And there's a sense in which that's true. Jesus does say that we need to take up our cross and follow him. On the other hand, though, is following the world really that easy? Is it really that fun? Is it really that restful? Jesus says, you take my yoke, I'll give you peace. I'll give you rest. Doesn't he tell us in the Psalm somewhere that he gives us, he gives his beloved sleep? There is no sleep for the evil and for the restless, but for God's people, there is rest. There is refreshment. The world's yoke is demanding, exacting, grievous, and oppressive, but Jesus' yoke is not like that. It's full of forgiveness and pardon. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will. It's a promise, by the way. Future. It's going to happen. I will give you rest. Try me. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me for... And this is, I love this, I am gentle and lowly in heart. This is, in a sense, Jesus is trying to get us to come to him, and he's focused us all up on him, but this is, this is the bait, so to speak, Jesus himself. I, he says, am gentle and lowly in heart. Look at who I am, he says. Jesus is not harsh. Lastly, I want you to look with me that he's a gentle savior. He's a gentle savior. We saw this morning that he stoops down and washes our feet. And it may be awkward for us when we have to submit to Jesus and let him wash us and cleanse us. But he does it gently, kindly. He's not overly intense. He's not violent. He's warm-hearted and full of compassion to us. He loves us so much. Jesus is gentle and lowly. He's, he doesn't have a big head, but he does have a big heart. Jesus has just told us that he's the sovereign and that he says big things like, no one can come to me except for the Father draws him and, and, and the only way that you can know God is if you know me. And then he stoops down and says, come to me because I'm gentle. I'm kind. And for those of us who've come to Jesus, that's one of the, for me, for me personally, right? I, I rejoice in God's holiness I rejoice in his omnipotence. I rejoice in the fact that he's powerful. But the thing that I love about Jesus is his love. He's compassionate. No man loves like this man does. No man is so concerned for me that he would lay down his life, right? The humility of Jesus Christ, I am lowly and meek. If you would but come to me, I would give you rest. That man, I, I remember one time in seminary, uh, the president of the seminary talked about how one time he was teaching a class with some young people and he said, 
Uh, he was frustrated with these kids. They weren't listening, didn't seem to make any progress. And one night with these young people, he just broke down and said, you guys don't care about your souls and, and all this stuff. He was broken. And later on, one of the kids in that class went to their parents. And you know what they said? That pastor cares more about my soul than I do. That's our savior. Your heart would melt if you knew how much he's concerned for every single one of you, how much he loves you. And he would give you rest if you would but come to him. And some of us, we read these passages and we wonder, there's someone here, if you're introverted and <laughs> curved in on yourself, and I'll raise my hand right there, um, you're going to be wondering, am I laboring and, and heavy laden enough to come to Jesus? Notice the text does not say that you're supposed to go and become heavy laden and labor. The text says, come to me. It doesn't tell you to go out and get lost. It says, come to me, because you are lost. You need me. His humility is astounding. He laid aside all his rights as God. He laid aside all the prerogatives of his divinity, we're told in Philippians, as our dear brother read this morning. And he stepped forth into our world and he said, though they hate me, though they hate my father, though it's a devilish and black world, I will go save them. And so he put aside all the prerogatives of deity and he stepped forth into our world and he humbled himself and became a child for us. And then eventually he humbled himself all the way as he interacted with you and me and people of our ilk and kind. And eventually he comes to us humble and mounted on a donkey. He comes to us with not with a rod, but in a spirit of gentleness and to restore us in a spirit of gentleness. And even whenever he was called and arrested to make a defense of himself before the rulers of Israel, his answers were given in gentleness and respect. Like a lamb before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And he loved us to the end. To where whenever he received the nails and his back was against the tree, he died for us. And he rose from the grave. And this meek and humble Savior is risen to the right hand of God the Father and his message is to every single one of you. I love you and I will forgive you if you come to me. Come to me and I'll give you rest. He's patient. He bears with us in love. He's not cross. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. And my prayer is that for all of us, maybe for the first time, but maybe for the thousandth time, we'll come back to this gentle Savior once again and embrace him as he embraces us. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for being the gentle and meek and lowly Savior that you are, that you love us so much, that you were willing to take the nails And the pain for an ungrateful sinner like me and for your people. We bless you. 
We thank you and we rejoice that you have been seated at the right hand of God the Father and we look forward to seeing you one day when you will return and embrace us in your arms. And though we fear sometimes that you grow weary of us or maybe we're afraid that we've never been yours, we know that we can approach you because you have first approached to us and embraced us with nail-pierced hands. Please go before us this week. Help us to live in the meekness and in the humility of our Savior. Help us to show that same gentleness to our neighbors, to our family, to our friends, to our spouses, to our children, to each other in the church. And remember that we serve you, a risen Savior, but a meek gentle, lowly Savior as well. For Christ's sake, amen. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Spencer from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.